Thank you. Man, I love the slow clap. I love that. You don't know how long I've waited to hear that. It's really a privilege for me to get to be here with you guys tonight. It's honestly is just a privilege for me to get to pre preach God's word anytime. But I love you guys. I love students and I love challenge at Chico State. And I really have a lot of faith for what God wants to do in your life and what he wants to do through your life. And I'm really excited to get to preach a message um, in this particular series. And I really feel like God's given me this message for you right now. And I'm really excited to get to share it with you. Uh, so we've been in this series called what? What has the series been called? With some enthusiasm, people. Community of Victory. Okay, so we're looking at the revelation of Jesus to seven churches in the first century. Each revelation gives exhortation and encouragement on what it means to be a community of victory with enthusiasm, right? I wanna share a message with you that I'm calling more than victorious, more than victorious. As we wrap up this series together, I want us to see that the life that God has prepared for us, the experience that Jesus died to give us, and the purpose of the revelation that we're gonna study tonight is about more in our faith life. It's about more. Jesus said in John 10, 10, I came to bring abundant life. That is more, more than victorious more than victorious. I love the way it's said in Romans 8. This is the first verse in the notes that you got tonight. Romans 8, 37, the apostle Paul said, in all these things, all the things that he wrote about leading up to this statement, he says, in all these things, we are more than victorious through him, through Jesus Christ who loved us. Romans 8 talks about all the main aspects of the Christian life, all the things that we really need to understand to be more than victorious. And he comes to this beautiful piece at the end where he says, in all these things, we can be more than victorious. In all these things, we can be more than victorious. So I wanna ask you right now, what would it mean for you to be more than victorious? What would it mean for you to be more than victorious? What would it look like for you to experience more than status quo Christianity? What would it look like for revival, fire, and supernatural blessing to be the new baseline of your faith? And some of you are hyped for this, right? Like who's hyped for this? Come on, some enthusiasm, who's hyped for this? Okay. Right, we want more, we want more than victorious, right? Some of you are hyped. Some of you think hype is all this is. Some of you question how much of this is really possible in your own life. And I know that because I've been there. I've been that person sitting, listening to this same type of talk. Some of you think that I'm just a hype guy right now and you're not really sure how much of this can actually be realized in your life. Have you ever met a hype guy? You know what I'm talking about? Hype guy, right? Okay, this is that guy or that girl that is hyped about everything, right? Like they just had, oh my gosh, the best quiet time ever. And they just ate the best burrito of their life. Guys had the most epic game of round net ever, the most epic game of spike ball. I mean, it was epic, right? Everything is all hype all the time. Whatever they just did, it was the best ever. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Right. <laughs> Fresh. 
The problem is when that hype guy or girl is all hype all the time, sooner or later, you start to doubt their hype. You start to wonder if what they're saying is actually legit. In fact, not only do you start to doubt it, but it all just kind of becomes white noise. It doesn't even catch your attention anymore, right? And I'm afraid that some of us have done this with the Bible. We see in scripture or we hear in a message like this, truly amazing, remarkable things about the faith life, but we sort of doubt it because we've never actually personally experienced the Christian life at this level of hype. And in our doubt, sooner or later, we just become despondent and it all becomes white noise. Big faith, signs and wonders we read about in scripture, resurrection power being made real in your life, strength for all things, power and purpose meant not just to change your life, but to change the world, to reach the ends of the earth through your life. Peace that transcends understanding, joy that is completely independent of our circumstances or our conditions in life. We can experience perfect joy, unfailing love, actual purity and righteousness in our personal lives, more than victorious Christian living. Sometimes we think that's just hype, white noise. It doesn't even pique our interest anymore. And I've lived this way a lot of my life. That's why I know. I wanted more. I wanted to experience God in a deeper way. I wanted to be more than victorious. I wanted to be on fire for God. I wanted deep communion with the Holy Spirit. But I, I hadn't experienced some of that to the full extent that I saw in scripture that the Bible describes that I would hear in sermons like this one. And I became doubtful and despondent. But in God's grace to me, through a series of consequences, he gave me revelation. He brought revival to my lukewarm soul and he showed me how to live on fire for him. And not only did he show me what it means to be more than victorious, but day by day, one step at a time, he has helped me to actually experience that, to live that kind of Christian life. And that's what he wants for you. Every single one of you, that's what he's promised for you. And it's immediately and completely available for you. And so my prayer for you tonight, my prayer for all of us, is that that kind of revelation and revival would be brought upon each of us in a deeper way than we've ever experienced. Every single person in this room that our spiritual lives would be stirred in radically biblical ways. Let's pray for that right now. God, we thank you in advance for the ways that you're gonna work tonight. God, we thank you for your word. It is promised to be powerful. God, we thank you for your Holy Spirit who promises to speak to us and to change us to transform our lives, God, to, to be the promised seal of everything that Jesus died to give us, God, and I pray that we would give our lives completely over to you tonight. God, that we would surrender in a new way. 
God, I pray that you would speak uniquely to every single one of us. God, that, that I, as I, as I preach your word, that I would not get in the way of this, but that it would truly be you speaking and that every single person in this room would hear exactly what you want them to hear. And God, I pray that you would help us to respond to that. Give us the strength to respond to that. Give us the courage to respond to that. Give us the strength, God. We love you. And we thank you so much for the ways that you're gonna answer this prayer through the message tonight as we respond to you, that you're not only gonna answer that, but you're gonna go above and beyond and you're gonna, you're gonna make that real in people's lives through our ministry as we leave this building tonight. God, we pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, the revelation I want us to look at tonight is what I like to call the revelation of revival. It's to the church of Laodicea, and it reveals the keys to being more than victorious. So let's read it together. It's uh, Revelation 3. This is in your notes, verses 14 through 21. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Okay, this isn't hype. These are the words of the amen. These are the words of the guarantee. These are the words of the faithful and true witness. These are the words that spoke life into existence at creation and raised Jesus Christ back from the dead at the resurrection. These words have power. And these words can bring you back to life or raise you to a new level of life if you'll treat them the way they really deserve. These are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. He says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salves to put on your eyes so you can see those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Keys to being more than victorious. Number one, live on fire for God. Live on fire for God. We're gonna go through every verse of this. Verse 15 and 16, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Jesus says to the church in Laodicea, you're lukewarm, it's gross. I want nothing to do with it. And he uses this imagery because Laodicea is a wealthy town, but it was a long way from the spring of their drinking water. So by the time the water traveled to them, it couldn't be enjoyed in its current condition. If you drank it, it was lukewarm and gross. You just wanna spit it out. This actually reminds me of a time that I was a kid. And if you know, it's like 150 degrees in Chico in the summertime, right? 
So I'm a kid and I'm at this baseball game and I'm of course not watching baseball, but I'm running around and I'm playing and it's 150 degrees and I'm, I get hot and I get sweaty and I am parched, man. Like I desperately need a drink. I am thirsty. And so I run to the bleachers where my, uh, my friend's mom has their little cooler or whatever. And she hands me this bottle of water and it's kind of warm and, and I don't really care, okay? Honestly, I'm like so thirsty. I just want something to drink. So I take this bottle of water and I open it and I start chugging it just to find out that it is hot, sparkling water. <laughs> and that is not what I expected. And so I spit it out in shock and disgust. So don't get me wrong, I love sparkling water now if it's cold and crispy and refreshing. But as a kid in the heat, man, I wanted refreshment. And this is not what I expected. It disgusted me, so I spit it out. That's how Jesus feels about our lukewarm faith. It's disgusting. It's disgraceful. And honestly, I think it's heartbreaking to him Jesus suffered a torturous death on the cross. He took our place on the cross. He died for us and he rose from the grave, not just so that we could spend eternity with him in heaven, that's amazing, but not just for that, but so that you and I could live on fire for God today. Not lukewarm, but ablaze for God so that you and I could live with his spirit burning within us, lighting a passion for God and igniting our life completely sold out for his purposes. Jesus said in Luke 12, 49, I have come to bring fire on earth and how I wish it were already kindled. John the Baptist said it this way in Matthew 3, 11, he said, I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me will come one more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. God desires each of us to be so spirit-filled that our innermost nature would be cleansed as by fire, that our life would be set ablaze for God, filled with spirit-given power and zeal, glowing for the glory of God. And the reality is that God supplies the fire. He supplies the fire when you commit your life to Christ, but you need to keep it burning. Being on fire for God is not only an outcome of his work for us, but it's also an outcome of our work for him and our work with him. In other words, the Holy Spirit doesn't make your effort in the Christian life, your work in spiritual growth. The Holy Spirit doesn't make your effort in the Christian life unnecessary. The Holy Spirit makes your effort effective. He makes your effort effective. God supplies the fire and his desire is to be completely ablaze in our hearts and through our lives. And the reality is when we're not on fire, it's by our own decision. It's because we have become distracted by worldly aspirations or we've let sinful desires take root in our hearts or we've neglected the spiritual habits that are meant to constantly stoke the fire in our lives. Prayer, Bible reading, scripture memory, meditation, community, serving, confession, evangelism. These, these aren't just optional activities of the Christian life. These are meant to fan into flame the fire of God in our hearts. God supplies the fire, but we need to do the work of maintaining day after day our spiritual intensity. 
That's what Romans 12, 11 says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep, that implies action, but keep your spiritual fervor. And let me encourage you tonight that, that even a flame that has dwindled to be almost completely out can still be fanned into a significant flame. God can spark that and light a fire in your heart. In Revelation 3, 15 through 16, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Jesus knows where we're really at. We don't need to hide it. He'd rather us just be real with him. He'd rather us be honest with him where we're really at. We, we, don't, we don't need to fake it. And when we do fake it, it's repulsive. He wants to spit it out. But if we're honest with him, if we're honest with God about where we're really at, if we earnestly seek him, then he'll bring our hearts into full flame. So let me ask you, are you truly on fire for God today? Does every part of your life reflect that your heart is completely sold out for God? Are you on fire for God today? We need to hunger and thirst for the manifestation of God's presence and his righteousness in our lives. We need to constantly open our hearts and wholly, wholly seek him to, 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 to fill us with faith and expectation for his empowering and constant enabling of our spiritual lives. We need a hunger and thirst for that. And that's point number two. We need to live with a right sense of desperation. We need to live with a right sense of desperation. Chapter 3, 17, you say, I am rich. I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize. And let me point out, if you think this verse doesn't apply to you, that statement should clarify it. You do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. That's harsh. That's convicting. We need to live with the right sense of desperation. You say you're rich. You say you don't need a thing. Maybe you say you don't really need God. Or maybe you're saying you're on fire for God, but you're really not. Maybe you say that you're on fire for God when you're at challenge, but on Friday night, that looks a little different. Maybe you say one thing, but you're actually living out another. Maybe you don't realize that, that you're actually, bear with me, wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. This is gracious of God. It's so gracious of Jesus to call us out and to make it clear how much we need him. He's so committed to us. He's so committed to us that he doesn't wanna leave any mystery to how much we need him. This is gracious. This feels harsh because we are proud and independent. But what Jesus is really saying is I have more for your life. And you need to live completely dependent on me to experience it. He's saying you can experience more than victory, but you need to be completely connected to me. You need me. You need to be desperate for me. 
And the reality is you'll never become better than you are as long as you think you're better than you are. You'll never become better than you are as long as you think you're better than you are. God wants more than victory for your life. But if you aren't willing to see your true condition and need, then you'll never actually put yourself in a position to experience it. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. We don't live with a right sense of desperation and dependence. I guarantee you not a single person in this room consistently lives with a right sense of desperation for God. We think we're better than we are. We think we're more capable than we are. We think we're rich, but we're poor. You wanna know how I know? Because we knowingly choose to go against God's commands. I knowingly choose to go against God's commands. We don't take God seriously enough to follow his guidelines for our lives. And we're not really worried that our sin will pour water on the fire of our spiritual hearts. We choose sin. Like I actually choose it. <laughs> okay, some, I, I'm wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked enough that sometimes it's on accident too. But I also just choose it, right? Is anybody with me? We choose to lie. We choose to lust. We choose to gossip. We choose to grumble. We choose to hang on to a bad attitude or a bitter heart. We choose to act out of anger. We choose to sin knowing it is wrong as if it's not going to affect our spiritual condition. We do it because we don't have a right sense of desperation and dependence on God. If we were truly desperate for God, I would rather die right than live wrong. I would rather die in righteousness than live in any way that is wrong or sinful. But sometimes our independence, our lack of desperation for God isn't so overt. Sometimes it's more obscure. Let me give you a real example tonight that I think we can all relate to, at least I can. Being self-conscious during worship. That one's hard for me. Being self-conscious during worship. I'm afraid to raise my hands. I'm afraid to raise my voice because I'm more worried about what other people will think of me than I am about truly praising God. You don't need to raise your hands. I'm not saying you have to raise your hands, but you do need to worship God with zero regard for yourself, completely desperate to show him honor, at least that much. And if that means that you raise your hands or not, I don't know, but it does mean that you truly worship God with zero regard for yourself, with zero self-consciousness. One more example of our lack of desperation that shows up more obscurely, okay, when I read my Bible or when I have a discipleship meeting or when I come to challenge on a Tuesday night or when I pray, when I, when I serve at church on a Sunday, am I praying for God to help me? Am I praying for God to help me in those things? Or do I actually think, do I practically think I can do it without him? If I'm not praying, then I practically think I can do it without him. If I realized how desperate I actually was, I would go into every situation completely immersed in prayer, pleading with God to help me because I know I can't do it without him. If I'm desperate, I live differently. 
And that's what I think this revelation is getting at. If I'm desperate, I read my Bible differently. I treat sin differently. I pray differently. I seek wisdom and godly counsel differently. I worship differently. If you want the Christian life to hit different, you have to live desperate. Okay, if you want the Christian life to hit different, you have to live desperate. If I have a right sense of desperation for God and allow that to drive me into complete and utter dependence on God, it changes things. Then and only then can I live a Christian life that is more than victorious. Just like being on fire for God, living with the right sense of desperation for God is an area that we need to put work towards. We need to practice this. And David shared a verse two weeks ago that I think is a great example of practicing this. Psalm 139, 23 through 24. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. God wants to answer this prayer. He wants to lead you in the way everlasting. He wants to help you become more than victorious. But you need to live with the right sense of desperation for him to do that. As you pray prayers like this, as God reveals things to you and leads you, live in a state of repentance. And that's number three on your outline. Live in a state of repentance. Revelation three eighteen through 19. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. When we sense conviction in our lives, when God reveals areas that we need to work on or change, that is a sign of his love and his faithfulness to us. That's a sign of his unfailing pursuit of us and his desire for us to live a life that is more than victorious. He says, those whom I love, that's you. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline you should feel loved by his rebuke. When you're corrected, when you sense conviction, that's God's faithfulness to you. Praise him for that. Be earnest and repent. We constantly rebel against God. We choose to favor sin and, and worldly pleasure and it fails us over and over and over again and yet we're naturally inclined to it. In our sinful nature, we are naturally inclined to it. Our natural state is a state of rebellion. But what we need is to choose to live in a state of repentance. I might not ever be completely free of sin, but I can choose day after day to go back to God for his forgiveness and grace. And he will fill me over and over again. He'll allow me to experience a life that's more than victorious. God wants something better for you. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. He says, I want for you 
true prosperity and spiritual riches. I want for you true purity and righteousness, true healing and comfort. So be earnest and repent. And then he'll refresh you and reward you in each of those ways. And I love the way it's said in Acts 3.19. It says, repent then and turn to God that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Refreshment is immediately available to you. And it can be constant in our lives when we live in a state of repentance, when we continually go back to God for his grace. So that means we need to be quick to repent when we mess up. Don't tolerate any sin in your life. Don't let any sin linger in your heart. Choose to live in surrender to God and his word day after day after day. And when that is your pattern, it'll open the door to a deeper and more fulfilling communion with Christ than you ever thought was possible. That leads to number four that we see from this passage. Live in close relationship with God. Keys to being victorious. Live in close relationship with God. Verse 20 through 21 says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. So much, so many of us are searching for fulfillment in life. We need more followers, we need more likes, we need more views. We need better friends. We look for enjoyment and pleasure in ultimately all of the wrong places. We find all the dead ends. We fill our lives with busyness and activity. Even good Christians fill their lives with activity after activity after activity after activity, looking for fulfillment. We spend years of our lives and thousands of dollars just trying to build status and success and security. We look everywhere for fulfillment in life. And Jesus says, here I am, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. And if you are listening tonight, I'd bet that you can hear the spirit of God speaking to you, not just through these words, but in your heart of hearts. And he is probably saying to you, hear me right now. Do you feel me beating on the door of your heart? I'm here. Invite me in like never before. Jesus Christ is saying to you tonight, just as I was victorious over death, I want you to be more than victorious in your life today. And he says this to us daily. And daily we have the choice of whether we will open that door completely to him. Live in close relationship with God daily. Live in constant and eager obedience. Seize with expectation every opportunity for prayer. Every time you come to challenge or church or Bible study, yearn and hunger for God. Rejoice and expect to connect with him in a deeper way. Every time you have an opportunity to serve him, do it. 
Every time you have an opportunity to share his love with someone, do it. Every time he convicts you, be earnest and repent. And every time Jesus says, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. How will you choose to respond? Right now, as God calls you to give him, give yourself over to him completely, how will you choose to respond? If you want more than status quo Christianity, if you want more than victory, this is the way. Live on fire for God. Don't settle for lukewarm, but be a blaze for God. Live with a right sense of desperation. In every area of life, be dependent on Him. Live in a state of repentance. Don't let even the smallest area of sin short circuit your experience of God. And, and live in close relationship with Him. Invite Him into your life every day. These are the keys to being more than victorious. And I'll close with this, 2 Corinthians 2, 14. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. We are a community of victory. Pray with me. God, we thank you so much for the way that you graciously lead us, the way that you mercifully love us. God, I pray that you would incline our hearts to you right now, that we would be sensitive to the way that you just spoke to us and eager to apply it. Please help every single one of us walk away with at least one thing that we can hold on to, that we can live by, that we can let shape our lives so that we can experience more than victory, so that we can draw close to you and experience the most fulfilling relationship that was ever created, that was ever possible, given to us by the blood and resurrection of Jesus Christ. God, I pray that we would embrace that completely right now that that would prompt us to live in a way that shares that with other people, and that ultimately all of this would lead to your glory to the ends of the earth. We pray that in Jesus' name.